0: and welcome to this week's episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. I'm your host Aaron and each week I have the pleasure of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Good day there. And this is episode 169, our special episode, our love letter, our appreciation episode to the duo brother directors, the Cohen brothers. Oh, them some
1: proud parents, taken Hollywood by storm from the very first moment they graduated from film school. Mate, they are the best. I'm going to say this now. I'm, I'm going to set my stall out early. This is a name, the number one name that gets me in the cinema The Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers. If doesn't matter who he's got in it. If I see The Coen Brothers, mate, I'm buying a ticket and they're. And that's that's strong. That said, not seeing all the films. <laughs> <laughs> they don't to make it to Lincoln. No, they don't make it to Lincoln. That's true. They don't so don't let me go on a rant this let's let's welcome people in first hello
0: how are you hello everyone welcome thank you for downloading let's get the housekeeping out of the way if this is your first time we get around the mics each week to talk about a different movie or topic or theme within movies this week being the Coen Brothers but last week we did a Halloween special we've gone through streaming services cinema selections sometimes we look at a director or an actor but we leave no stone unturned on the quest to find the greatest movies of all time if we find them we put them in the sorry you're in my seat vault the safe haven for the greatest movies of all time the newest entry to which was Saint Maud, the horror movie um, that came out, I think, two years ago. That is now on Amazon Prime, which we checked out last week, which we thought was brilliant. I mean, James, you saw it at the cinema.
1: But- I dis- So it was quite a great experience as well. That, that eerie, claustrophobic, uh, the pave to hell, uh, the, the way to hell is paved with good intention. That sort of feel. And still on out, on that, still out on the Amazon right now. So check it out.
0: And I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the Coen brothers' movies are going in. Big Lebowski's is already in there. Yeah, it is. We talked about that on a previous episode. But the rules is we have to have talked about it. We have to have seen it in the last seven days for it to go in the vault. Because if not, we would just sit here talking about movie after movie without exactly. actually doing the research and revisiting. And that is part of this podcast journey. He's going back, revisiting some of the classics, the greats, and some of the up and coming. So that's the show. If you're on social media, we are at SYIMS underscore podcast. That's sorry you're underscore podcast. Do give us a like, do give us a subscribe. You'll get a new episode each and every week, two minutes 30. Let's get on with the show. Yeah, let's do it. You know,
1: so I'm ready. Should we Have you watched any movies other than Cone Brother movies? No, but there is one thing I do want to talk about. Also, I have, sorry, yes. But the, the thing I want to talk about mostly is, so we are recording on the first, by the time this comes out, we'll be you know, in the beginning of November. But Halloween, literally yesterday, what Halloween movie did you go with? Which was the film that you decided to celebrate all Hallow's Eve? So I was with my good friend Esther, and I tried Parallel Activity again. So the first one. I, the first one. I try to go back, mate, because I want to give stuff a chance. And I really like that idea. We're going to talk about the Cohen Brothers now, who, who they are Cinephiles. They love the making of film. Paranormal activity is different. You know, it's it's recorded footage. It plays on what you think the audience. So I quite like that. I like that method of storytelling. The, the only problem is I hate it. I hate the <laughs> film. I've got 20 minutes in, come do it. So I then went back to the original, the best. I went to the Blair Witch project. Yeah do you know what, mate? I still think that film holds up the grain because it's released in 1998, but it's set in 1994. They can get away with not having cell phones. They can get away with using this filmy grain. The story of three uh, people lost in the fictional woods, hunting down the Blair Witch, was brilliant. There's more layers. to When I first saw that when I was a teenager, there's so many more layers that I didn't realise. Like at the beginning when they're talking to them, they're all talking about different origin stories for well, what could possibly be. You know, letting you pick the horror that terrifies you. And I love that. I think that's brilliant. And they all get mentioned in it. Mm. The scariest thing when you're watching it now isn't the, like the map or the gore bit. To me, it's when they go in the house and there's child's handprints everywhere, something that I didn't really, I noticed them, but I didn't appreciate how fucked up that is. Mm. I'm going to say now, I still think it holds up. But I think it's brilliant. And as the granddaddy of like found footage, you know, this led to obviously Cloverfield, which I'm a huge fan of, did kind of lead to the Paranormal Activities, which they're not for me, but I know they've got an audience. But the Blair Witch Project, so good. I was almost going to check out the um, remake that they did in 2016. Read about it. Nah. <laughs> nah. Stick with it. It's was, it was, it was the film I used for my Halloween, because I think it's still scary. Paranormal Activity is it, it, it
0: was an exercise in filmmaking profitability, wasn't it? Yeah. A movie made for 15 grand, which grossed 192 million worldwide.
1: And films evolved, because then we went from Blair Witch, we went to Paranormal Activity, and then we went to those films like Unfriended, You know, where it all takes place on a laptop screen. Mm. You know, So... I really like the evolution of the film. I think that's really cool. Not enough for me to go back to watch Paranormal Activity. No, God, no, Unfortunately, yeah.
0: that to me, that doesn't do it. it I, I can't justify giving a nat- 90 minutes, an hour
1: and a half of my life <laughs> to watch a door close. Well, the second one, I remember there's a baby in a crib and it gets lifted and I was in a packed cinema and I was with a friend... And everyone in this, when the, when the baby lifted, everyone was like, oh! and I couldn't stop laughing. I had, I had hereditary syndrome when everyone was gushing and i just got, I've made tears in my eyes. I was bawling. Everyone's like, what is he laughing at?
0: It was so funny. And that's the thing with these movies and, and Halloween movies often, you know, part of the thrill is going with your friends, going as a collective, going and being scared together. You know, I think I wouldn't watch a horror movie on my own. I go to the cinema on my own, but I wouldn't watch a horror on my mm. own. It's a collective thing. It's a thrill. It's the adrenaline. It's the release of fear. So, you know, it's supposed to be a bit of an exercise in releasing anxieties, why people are drawn towards horror movies. But um, Paranormal Activity, no, it, for me. So, I had the choice on Halloween itself on what movie to watch. I was Ooh. going to check out the new Conjuring movie or the latest that, you know, so the what, Conjuring
1: 12, still Conjuring. Whatever that is. <laughs> <Still> yeah. <jiving. laughs>
0: yeah. Um, but then these Wonderland's come out with Nicolas Cage. I've seen Willie's Wonderland. Which is on Nat TV Cinema. So that's why I, I did it going with. Good choice. I Do you want?
1: I'm looking forward to I'm this.
0: Good, I'm going to do, do it now because I was going to save it to the end, but we'll do this and then we'll get back. So if you haven't seen it, Willie's Wonderland is directed by Kevin Lewis. It's on Nat TV Cinema. Nicholas Cage is a quiet drifter whose car is damaged out on the open road. And to pay for the repairs, he takes on the job as a janitor at a local condemned kids' adventure park called Willie's Wonderland. Yep, you, you need night watchman
1: for a, a derelict business
0: that's yeah unaware that the animatronics come to life at night the janitor must survive fighting off evil and avoid becoming a human sacrifice at willy's wonderland obviously it's <laughs> a wannabe cult movie it's a movie that goes out its way to be a b movie it's inspired by video games like five nights at freddy's that's exactly what it is when, when you watch it you just like i've played this game yeah yeah it's um nick cage you know the man in black the man with no name the silent drifter does what is in his wheelhouse you know and what is because Nicolas Cage hasn't really, he's not, I wouldn't say he's fell from grace. I think Nicolas Cage is very self-aware of where he is, what he's doing and what he's saying yes to. I think he's embraced it.
1: Yeah. Because it, because he it does come out of the shadows too, because you, these films, these are what has lived like the last 10 years, but then he'll pop his head off and do like a kick-ass because he knows like the role. He'll go, oh, the mentor. Mm. And that's the role he's suited for. But at the same time, I just think he likes to pick these films because he can. Yeah. And I've always put Nicolas Cage, bear with me next to Keanu Reeves. I'm going because, to bear with you for but,
0: now. <laughs> because I see, when I see them both in interviews, they both come across as two people that just love movies. Okay, I see There that. is there is, a, there is literally an interview with Keanu Reeves where, or he's on a podium, I think he's given an award, and he's saying, I just love movies. I love being in them. I love watching them. I like going to the cinema. I live, breathe, I am movies. And Nicolas Cage to me is that guy. He's, yeah. Nicolas Cage's, like, thought process, his acting style, his research, what he brings to a role, he only knows. We, we, are mere observers in the world of Cage. We don't know what's going through his head. And sometimes when he breaks down his iconic performances, you find out that like an onion, there are multiple layers, but also like an onion, it can make you cry. Yes. (laughs) I've taken that from Shrek. But um, this is his wheelhouse, particularly of where he is now in his career. It is a B movie. It's a wannabe cult movie. Um, It's small cast, small production, low budget, it's Nicolas Cage beating the shit out of a load of animatronics or people dressed as giant gorillas and ostriches and lizards and knights and, and of course, a weasel slash, I don't know, whatever Willie is. He fights Willie at the end, you James. Just
1: at the end. Um, well, but- quite a bright film. I remember thinking this was like, ooh, there's a lot of neon in this decrepit, <laughs> run-down, non-existent place.
0: Yeah, you know, and as, as the night janitor, you know, it's cut it's cut between scenes of him then cleaning, playing pinball and drinking energy drinks and he doesn't say anything. And, and any time it deviates away from that to give you a side storyline about characters that may or may not have survived Willy's Wonderland in its heyday and why they're coming back and whatever it may be anytime it varies away from Nicolas Cage beating the shit out of a giant gorilla, it is instantly boring. It's like, look, (laughs) I'd much rather this movie be 45 minutes and just Nicolas Cage's stuff than all the side storyline. Because then unfortunately what it does is it it invites the viewer to ask questions like why doesn't Nick Cage think it's weird when like a mechanical ostrich comes to life mm. why is it that he's still there after the first thing that happens to him why are these kids chosen this night of all nights to try and burn the place down when they've lived in the village or the town for
1: 20 something years do you remember when you were a mechanic
0: Oh do you remember
1: when you were a mechanic or, and, and someone broke down and they came to you and they instantly think you offered them a job out somewhere else <laughs> I just think everything's so weird. Yeah. It's none of it makes sense. You know, the local sheriff's in on
0: the human sacrifice thing, you know, it's the, it's the fact that what no one's ever been reported missing. And their last point of contact has been near Willie's wonderland. It's it it invites that eighties and seventies B movie of leave your brain at the door and just go with it. And, it is entertaining to a degree. It's not a cult movie though. It's so, not, it's not going to have the- um... It's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, to be honest though, this this is what I'm going to go back to. And this is what a friend of mine always says with these kind of movies. What was you expecting? Yeah. And to be honest, I wasn't expecting anything else than what it gave. So at the end of the day, I can't really criticize it. You're right, James. It wasn't Shakespeare, but fuck it. I didn't expect it to be when I went into it. It, it was what it was. It was. And do so, you know,
1: sometimes there's goodness in badness.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know what? We enjoyed 90 minutes. We enjoyed laughing at it. You know, we enjoyed kind of, we asked more questions than the film gave us answers to. Yep. It was like, oh, maybe this. Maybe this. There's a bit where Nicholas Cage, and this, it sounds like a joke, acts more machine-like than the machines. <laughs> There's a bit where his head starts moving around like he's never heard the English language before, mm. and I was like, "Oh, maybe." And I started coming to this theory. I was like, "Maybe he's like, maybe he's an animatronic stuck in a human's but bo- no, no, stop thinking. I think
1: stop thinking. <laughs> I think what you need to do, mate, is get on Reddit and, and explore that theory <laughs> no. with other
0: like-minded individuals. No, there's a, there's there's a there's a place called Hell, James and it's Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so uh, Willy's Wonderland was my Halloween film this year. There's some good
1: choices there. I mean, total fucking opposite.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I've done it now. Exactly. I've, I've, I've itched that, you know, that or scratched that itch. I think is the term, isn't it? So um,
1: yeah. Other than that, I've 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 been to cinema to see Doom. Um, oh. I this is gonna be a film that, that so stellar cast. Stellar cast. I haven't got two minutes of this because I'm just preparing it for another week. So recently I saw the original. And you know the brigade that say, oh the original's best remakes, don't understand it. This remake is brilliant. It far surpasses what Dune tries to be. Now I believe that's a collection of the time. The problem with the original Dune is so archaic, it stays so close to the source material that you don't care. It's got these voiceovers from people that sound like that they've just, you know, come out of a coma. It's like the spice. You know, mm. it really irritates me. Luckily, we go away from that. Delemy, uh, Charlemagne, Timothy Charlemagne is fantastic and his leading man, A list of material for the future. He's brilliant. Really like Dave Batista and um, everyone in it Oscar, Isaacs, they all bring a, a stoic performance that's great in this grandiose epic. And this is a question I was going to ask you as well. It actually feels good because it sets itself up for more. It's part one. Mm. And I wouldn't mind them exploring different places. A, Caracas, uh, a Caracas, oh, I always forget the name. Anyway, the planet that they're on it lends to more stories in the future, and it's got this great and Denny Villeneuve has done a phenomenal job of bringing life to a very campy bad film. Mm. <laughs> uh, because I do not like the original. James. Does the remake have sting in it, James? It doesn't, so you can't win them all. <laughs> <laughs> that character's no no, no, no spoilers. Everyone in it is very really good. It's not, it's a very serious film. It very it takes itself to heart. It is literally feudal societies in space which is kind of what the book is really did enjoy it. I thought it was very good bit of a long a long run time but it's Denny Villeneuve he doesn't mm. do things short he parts are just artistic he goes for beautiful set pieces sometimes and the story is almost singular there's a shot um, in the middle of the film where there's a quite an important conversation going on he's in the bottom right hand corner the, the focus is actually this brilliant set uh, set design in the background it's beautiful gorgeous and um I liked it. However, on a flip flop of that, there are people that are going to hate this film. Mm. It's an opera in space. It's, it's not the action packed flick I think some people are expecting. It is very. It's Emo 4000. Yeah. A lot <laughs>
0: yeah. of people, a lot of the reviews are saying this is. Doing the groundwork, so the sequel or yes. part two could be the action side of it.
1: So I I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself in the cinema. I thought it was great fun. I did go on my own. I went on a, like a Saturday morning, so there wasn't that many people in it, which was weird, but it was, you know, I've, I had fun. Not for everyone, definitely not everyone's a cup of tea. Music, oh, it's great. And what I really liked about it is I got, you know, the hairs that stick on the, on the back of your neck. Mm. And I know when they happen for you, when you're watching Star Wars. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not saying I got that. It's really nice to see like the birth of something grandiose again. Mm-hmm. You know, we live, you know, we spent two years locked down when no one was really, you know, setting the pace. Like, If you think about a lot of the set designs and a lot of the big stories have gone to television. You know, we're expecting Amazon, you know, the Lord of the Rings series to come out with this huge thing. Mm-hmm. Expectations have dropped for the big screen. And it was really nice to see a cinema kind of uh, film, just throw it out and go, let's go for tens. Let's, you know, grandiose, big, massive cast. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I, there are going to be people out there that do not like it because mm. it, it's so slow at times, a snail could have written it. <laughs> it it's not a fast-paced film. F- and then when it is fast-paced, it's too fast-paced. And you go, what, 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 what? <laughs> like, Can you rewind? Because, and the names are ridiculous. I, at one point, nearly got a notebook out. I was like, they mentioned some names. was like, who is that? <laughs> Just yeah. call him Dave Fattista because it'd be easy to remember. <laughs> I'll, I... I f- I
0: should get to the cinema this week, so I'm off this week. So I'll, I'll hopefully by next week's episode, we can do a bit of a Dune deep dive. Yeah. Deep diving into Dune. Yeah, get Sandy, mate. That's <laughs> what the episode's called, Get Sandy. Get Sandy. Cool. Um, all right, let's go on with our main event, which is the Cohen Brothers then. So the Cohen Brothers, I've got a big, big spiel. So oh, you feel free to inter- interject, but I've kind of tried to summarise what the Cohen Brothers... Bring to the big screen, Jesus, mate, Um, good lord! Well, bad bullet points and stuff. So we can we can break this up. But as an introduction, for someone who's downloaded this episode because they're a Cohen brothers fan, or if you uh, don't know anything about the Cohen brothers at all, other than maybe some of their movies, um, then let's start going through it. The Cohen brothers comprise of Joel, uh, Daniel Cohen, and Ethan Jesse Cohen who are directors, producers, screenwriters, and editors of films such as Raising Arizona, The Big Lebowski, True Grit, and No Country for Old Men. Together, the duo have been nominated for 13 Academy Awards, winning Best Original Screenplay for Fargo and Best Picture and Best Director for No Country for Old Men. Fargo has since been added to the American Film Institute's Top 100 Greatest American Movies Ever Made.
1: Mm.
0: I always think with that list, like, do, do they just go, oh, shit? Sorry, uh, you know, whatever it is, you're out now. Do the, you know, like- do the, It must or, do. Yeah, so like literally whoever is number 100, see ya. Yeah? Oh, that's that's got good, bit, like, isn't it? It'd be just
1: really weird if they changed it. The 101, at <laughs> <laughs> um, least. Do you remember the original, well, we were going to do that. We were only going to have 50 movies, then we thought we'd we fill th- we, it a bit we, like four episodes. Yeah, we, we can't like, do yeah, that. Yeah, we can't do that.
0: The Pierce filmography really is quality over quantity, known best for their ability to hybrid genres, most notably comedy and drama. Films often start eccentric characters, intertwined with storylines, twists, uh, sorry, intertwined with complex storylines, twists, often poking fun at the everyday. Oh, do you know what I
1: love about that? Is is when they do a complicated twist or a storyline where you're like, many different threads, mm. and then a lot of the times the threads go nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I fucking love that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's a huge talking point, isn't oh, sorry, it? Man. No, 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 that's <laughs> good, that's good. <laughs>
1: Vox Magazine oft, uh,
0: once sorry, wrote, a Coen Brothers film is like watching an inside joke, but you don't know the punchline. Yeah, so I think that's, that's kind yeah. of how it is. In regards to cinematic universes, it's safe to say that there is a Coen Brothers universe, a place where heists, robberies, blackmail, murder, and white Russians can intertwine, a place where no good deed goes unpunished, uh, characters trying to trick or defeat the system, often without luck. It's a world of ambitious...
1: But inapt uh, criminals. Yeah, and this is—it's it's just every man, isn't it? You can see yeah. yourself in any one of those characters. Well, most of them. You're not going to see him doing a doing a Marvel movie anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, exactly. You know what? what is really weird, like, and, and this is—you know ready for some hypocrisy? Mm. Who's that actor? Who's that director that you really like, and I do not like? Um, there's a film. We were going to go see it on Sunday and I've got to text you. Oh, Wes Anderson? Where's Anderson. So I'll accuse Wes Anderson of doing he, he sets all his films in the same place. He'll never do any other genre. Eh, you could argue that the are They're never going to do a spade. <laughs> they're never going to do Dune, mate. <laughs> so... The Coen brothers are masters of story, underpinning uh, their attention to
0: detail with props, locations, costumes, and scores. Whether that be the vivid red blood on snow, the purely white cowboy in a dusty saloon, or the beige dressing gown of a hero who drifts through town like a tumbleweed. Like painters, the Coen brothers use colour to to denote humour and sunny landscapes for prosperity, whilst also saturating scenes to black and grey to add drama. Show most noticeably through the ballad of Buster Scrubs, of which the palette changes to the context of the movie. Mm. Ballad of Buster Scrubs is going to be one of the movies that I'm going to talk about a lot in the Coen Brothers bit because that, to me, is like them showing off. It, it, and and I and it it probably doesn't make my top three. It's a wild card. It doesn't make my top three on the on the basis that it does feel the most showy, the most get it. movie that they've tried to show how good they are. But it, it, that could be the
1: mechanics of the six parts to the film. I think it's a testament of love to kind of the process of filmmaking. Well. Mm. You know, like I think what it was, it was Netflix giving them a bunch of money and I reckon they were just like, just do it. Mm. Just whatever you want to do, just do it just so we can sell the Coen brothers thing. Yeah. And they throw something that was quirky. You but know, that, something it, that was off the beaten track. It was, all, every, it was every Coen checklist, wasn't it? Yeah. If you look at that, I mean, you, you know, the first opening
0: part, the Tim Blake Nelson's character, you know, in the Purdy Whites and the Dusty Town, you know, you've got then the the Tom Waits prospector, you know, with the sunny landscape until he's double-crossed and then it goes grayscale right the way through to the final act where the colour literally drains over 15 <laughs> minutes as you understand what that last act of that movie is all about. It's the, That movie it really is a kind of... It's like a dissertation piece. It's like you've done all the hard work, but this is the one I want to get graded on. The Coen Brothers also maximized their skill with cinematography, setting films in open locations such as Middle America or Towns Off the Beaten Track to help world build and add context to their characters so it's all about the wide shot showing landscape and then the central middle shot of the character often looking out over that landscape, <laughs> which gives you the idea of volume of depth, but also gives context to those characters. Think of a character like Francis McDormand, you know, in the snow, looking at, a, you know, a body or a car crash. You're looking at Francis McDormand, not the crime scene. Yeah, The way that they shoot and choose to shoot their movies is is iconic. Um, shots of characters engulfed by surroundings and environments, the environment around the character is much and is as is important as the character as uh, the character themselves so as I say cold snow and the cold snow and brutal landscape or whether it's the south and hot and humid landscape or whether it's a desert which is vast open and deadly often the magical trick in this it though James is you're working with Roger Deacons as your yeah. cinematographer which is a kind of
1: long-lasting relationship that they so have in their films they found each other quite early on I think they've done like maybe one film but as soon as they did a film together that was they would they were partnered forever yeah. well for 25 years I think and
0: they they a lot love their mate and what what Roger Deacons often and brings other than those gorgeous sweeping landscape shots are the use of, and I'm going to butcher this, I believe it's Churikasa lighting. We'll talk it's the me. idea of um, using shade to oh. dramatize certain scenes, most noticeably in a movie like No Country for Old Men with Anton or um, Javier Bardem's character. Often you think of the scene when he's talking to Woody Harrelson and he's lit by a lamp and it, the shadow makes the good he's holding seem huge because of the way that it's shot, low yeah, camera yeah. using shadow. So the two together help to add shade, create tension, create drama. The Coen brothers also dance with dialogue, bouncing rhythmically between characters such as Brad Pitt and Burn after reading or Tim Blake Nelson in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. But that's juxtaposed with the silence or the, um, or the monotone of characters like Javier Bardem in No Country for Old Men or Tom Waits in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Often one being comedy, one being drama. So yeah. they'll infuse that in the way that their characters speak. What the Corwin's master um, repeatedly better and probably more consistent than anyone else is suspense. Suspense the audience is uh, conscious of, such as Anton flipping a coin in a, in a gas station. Suspense we're unsure of, such as a baby being stolen um, or a gun being waved around in a bowling alley. Or suspense we didn't even know was there and we were supposed to be suspenseful about, such as Brad Pitt hiding in a cupboard only to be shot by George Clooney. Jesus Christ. There are, they are the masters of suspense, which adds to that drama. Going back to the comedy, my final point before we break down the films, we talk about our top three, is the use of comedy in Coen Brothers movies. It's dry, it's simple, it's occasionally immature, but it's often perfect. The way a bowling ball is buffed by a, a character. Um, the way that a cowboy is more of a Looney Tunes character. Or how something as simple as a, a coffee mug is thrown and hurled at someone's head. Mate, one of the best scenes of
1: all time. It is, yeah. <laughs> but only because it precedes that. That coffer has a massive rant and then the dude just <laughs> responds I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> because we've all been there. And then, oh mate! It is it, the,
0: the, the 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 use of comedy in the movies is, is absolutely perfect. It even finds its way into movies where no comedy is due, like No Country for Old Men. There are elements sometimes of of comedy in certain scenes that you like. This film has no right to have that that element to it. But that is the magic and the mayhem of the Coen Brothers is this ability to dwindle together uh, scripts, dialogue, and locations with ensemble casts. Oh, so wow. we talked previously about directors that can handle the ensemble. Mm. Um, you know, Wes, Wes Anderson, like him or dislike him, or his style can handle an ensemble cast pretty yeah. well. You and sound they, like
1: June does it very well with Denis Villeneuve. And they all buy into it as well, especially with uh, Wes Anderson, because they will come back. Yeah. You know, even if it's for short sure, part, like um, Bill Murray, you know, can you do a bit part? I just want you to pick up a phone in a hotel. Mm. Uh, I can't remember. Sorry, I'm terrible at filming. This. Grand Budapest. Grand Budapest Hotel. You know, he, he gets them to buy in. The Coen Brothers always going back to that, that well of what I would call great actors, great character actors. Mm. They, they, and On the top of this, I think they saved careers because I remember thinking George Clooney was done. You know, George Clooney became this big thing in ER. And I remember his jump to, to movies was seen as like a big shift in like Hollywood. Like, oh my God, George Clooney, can he make it on the big screen? Batman, fucking awful. And also it was a good film, but I don't think it hit the audiences. And I think his career was floundering. And then, oh brother, where art thou? Mm. You know, um, the film he just mentioned, that Burn, not Burn, no, he's... Bird After Reading. Burn After Reading. These films, I didn't mention some of them, but I think they rejuvenated his career. Hail
0: Caesar and, and the Coen Brothers have also written or produced movies that, that George Clooney has also been in. Mm. A movie which I can never remember the name of, but the one with Catherine Zia Jones, I can never remember what it is. A Terrible is. Cruelty.
1: Is that, yeah, that's the one. I think they did direct that one as well. Oh, did they? Yeah, that's the one I was, I was like. Yeah. But again, every film they make as well is, is a love, because I referred to them at the top of the episode as cinephiles every film that they do is a love letter to something. So Intolerable Cruelty is not for me, but it's it's a 1940s rom-com. Mm. It's, you know, uh, Kerry Grant. You know, it's those kind of films. And it's an homage to them. So if you grew up with those films, that's something you'd love. And, mate, like I said, The Current Brothers will get me in. They do different genres as well, and they do them so well. So, I mean, if, if you're still unsure of who The Current Brothers are,
0: um, some, some films that you may have seen, Raising Arizona, Miller's Crossing... Uh, Fargo, Big Lebowski, Her Brother Where Art Thou, uh, Lady Killers, No Country for All Men, Burn After Reading, True Grit, uh, Hail Caesar, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. There are so many to go through. They're just some. We're going to break them down. And the key now over this conversation is what are your top three? Now you've seen more of these movies than I have. Mm. But I have seen a good majority of them. And I'm taking do- out some of the shorts and some of the early movies, but yeah. from kind of raising Arizona in 1987 onwards, I've seen the majority.
1: Good. And do you know what? I think we're we're in for a for a special treat because everyone loves these. Um right. What? Sorry, just get my list up because my phone locked in. Rude. Rude. Sorry. can't remember. Do you want to do you wanna start?
0: I'm gonna go for my number three because I don't think it makes
1: your list at all. all right, go. In number three, I am putting. Oprah We're Out Thou. Oh, do you know what? The problem with we've just doing a top three list is we will never we won't do it justice. Mm. Oprah We're Out There outdoors not make my list. However, is a great retelling. well it's, it's heavily based. It Take some liberties from Homer's Odyssey. You know, you've got like the sirens, the, the musical instruments, and then you've got I, I, this is gonna come up a lot, mate. John Goodman. John Goodman. <laughs> a fucking phenomenal John Goodman playing the sheriff, you know, one eye, obviously he's the Cyclops hunting them down. I do what Fucking love this film, mate. Yeah, it said deep south in
0: the 1930s, three escape convicts search for hidden treasures while a relentless lawmen pursues them. Um, catchy soundtrack, a storyline that goes here, there, and everywhere. Three central performances that I think are underpinned expertly. George Clooney uh, being one, Tim Blake Nelson being another, but John Turturro being the shining star in the movie. John Turturro, again,
1: he's going to come up a lot on this list. He's brilliant at that. Why is his name? Uh, no, Pete Hogwallop. I'd love his interactions because you've mentioned George Clooney's leading man, Tim Blake Nelson, not a leading man, John Turturro, not a leading man, but those two hold their fucking own mm. in a glorious writing and the comedy, perfect with the just the just the position of, uh, you know, tense. Will they get away with it? Do <laughs> just like the music, mate. Right? Yeah. Oh, I just memory lanes right now. It's a nominated for two Oscars. This one was
0: it is for me a wild it, it started off as a wild card because the film came out in 2000 I didn't see it in 2000 I saw it much much later knowing who the Coen brothers were it was probably after I saw movies like No Country for All Men and started working through the back catalogue mm. I remember the poster vividly I remember George Clooney on the poster and just thinking I've been hurt by George in Batman and Robin I think I was on a a, a, a break from George for a while <laughs> in the, me, in like, the early no 2000s <laughs> Um, and it went back for this, and just all the way through, as you say, the music, the nineteen thirties feel to it, the kind of the hot South, you know, the the humidity, the dapper Dan hairstyle stuff, the fact that in the third act it feels like it loses itself completely with floods and hangings and all sorts of stuff that just do not make sense, but do in a nice wrapped up movie. It's over the top. It's eccentric. It's characters that are abstract, you know, in in the way that they look, the way they talk. There is miming that is so obviously not them singing, which makes it brilliant and comedic and doesn't detach you from the movie. It actually sucks you in even more. I really like this movie. It was hard. I, I think there's a movie in your top three that I replaced with this one because at the end of the day, when I watched this, I went in with no expectations and loved every second of it. And it's rare a movie does that. So I had to put it in based on reaction alone. There are probably better executed movies, Miller's Crossing was very hard not to put in my top three. I think that's a beautifully um, crafted drama. But this, there was a feeling after watching it, quotable, The I think I had the song in my car for fucking months after this. I put yeah. it on like a tape or no, on a CD. Um, yeah, there's just something about this. I wanted a pair of dungarees, like <laughs> denim dungarees after
1: this movie. Mate, it's great to hear you talk about with such passion as well. You had a big smile on your face when you're talking about that. I can't disagree with anything you've said. It is not on my top three. But this is one of the most important, not important, but one of the hardest lists I've ever had to do because I've seen the majority of the Coen Brothers films and I love the majority. There's only two I really don't like that much. So this was difficult. What are the two you don't like? I don't like Intolerable Cruelty because I didn't grow up in 1940s rom-coms and I'm, I think everyone's with me, The Lady Killers, because that was shit. <laughs> there's no forgiving. And I, do I blame Tom Hanks for that? Yeah, a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons, yeah. Simmons in that film and I'm not going to blame him. <laughs> Um, genuinely for my third, it was this, it, I was, there was two films. This was between three films. The problem was my three films. I set out my stall early when you get to meet me, you know, I'm pretty much all about these three films. So and Fink was going to make my list because it's the first film I ever saw that mm-hmm. made me, uh, it was so brilliant. Barton Fink, he's he got writer's block and then his next one over in hotel kind of played by John Goodman <laughs> invades. And it's dealing with that, you know, trying to write something with this irritating like situation uh, Burn After Reading I think he's an underrated masterpiece I think it's phenomenal and it, why do I think it's phenomenal because at the end when J.K. Simmons is getting a report about what's happened during the movie and he's just like I don't fucking know he's like I hope we learn our lessons I mean I fucking don't know what they were <laughs> but I hope we learn our lessons they're all brilliant George Cooney's so over the top brilliant in this you've got Brad Pitt kind of playing an idiot like which was a different role for him and then you've got Frances McDermott sensational as she will always be and the number one standout but those ultimately didn't make my top three my number three is Raising, Arizona. Yeah. So, uh, High Mukadona is a repeat criminal. A repeat offender. I'm going to do that and I apologise. A convenience store robber who meets police officer Edwina, Ed, after she takes his mugshots Over time and repeat arrests, High comes to fall for Edwina. Oh, that's nice. He learns that Ed's uh, fiancé has left her and proposes to Ed after being released from prison. He's, he's a reformed man. You know, he won't do it. Mm. He won't do it again. High goes straight and the two try for a family. Unfortunate, Ed is infertile and they cannot adopt due to High's criminal history. Luckily, a local furniture magnate called Nathan Arizona has quints born and High and Ed become jealous and steal one of the babies. <laughs> At the same time, two of High's former criminal associates break out of jail and hide in High's home. One of them is played by John, John Goodman. Goodman. Yeah. And um, To add to the drama, the couple are hunted by Leonard Smalls, a bounty hunter from hell. And what I love about this film is, is the amount of bollocks that people go into. So High has a Roadrunner tattoo on him, on his arm, and so does Leonard Smalls. And they're like, maybe it's Leonard. Maybe it's a uh, high's like conscience running after him. But no standout scenes, mate. A scene where the two criminals rob a bank and they go, "I'm going to count to hundred, and I'm going to come back to see if you're counting." And then they drive off, and they realise they've forgotten the baby. <laughs> then it cuts back to the scene, and the guy's counting. And goes, "Oh crap, they're not coming back." This is the car coming back. <laughs> Everyone wants to steal the baby. It's brilliant. Francis McDermott's in it. Do you want? This is brilliant. Holly uh, Holly Hunter, who I always. It always annoys me that she never gets the credit. She says, oh, I fucking love Holly Hunter. She, um, she, I remember watching
0: The Incredibles and all the way through that movie being like, who is the voice of the mum? And it was doing my head in. And <laughs> that is the testament to she's not in enough things.
1: Um, and Nicolas Cage in a standout performance. It, this is top two Nicolas Cage performances. Um, this and probably what he won the Oscar for Leaving Las Vegas. But this is top notch. Nick Cage, he's playing like the dumb criminal Great storyline. Lots of different storylines. Again, ultimately don't matter to anything. It's a great film. The promise is, look for it. Go out there, Raising Arizona. It's a comedy and a very good comedy. It is though, going back to that synopsis I
0: said at the beginning, where it's the comedy that you don't know whether to laugh at or be offended by. They are stealing (laughs) a baby. They've stolen a baby, bro. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. This didn't make my list because- I wanted it to. It was the first, when I think Coen Brothers, it's probably actually always the first film I think of with the Coen Brothers. And it's so early in their career as well. Yeah. And it really is the, for me, because I haven't seen the shorts so I haven't seen the kind of the real introductory movies that, uh, you know, that they did previously. But things. I haven't
1: seen them either, so. But
0: this was, the, for me, was the, it was the landscape to which they would then build on, on them eccentric characters, those kind of wacky scenes, you know, the like you say, John Goodman, who, out of John Goodman, and then you remember he has been in things like
1: Flintstones and all yeah, other things. But then you forgive him because he does this. Because These he does, does this. But but he, again, it's his delivery, so on this delivery, they've all got a southern drawl and there's lots of gaps in the, you know, someone will say something and there's a lot of silence. It's like, there's a lot of scenes of people just looking at each other. Like when he has an argument with Ed and she leaves the house and there's just two criminals sat there and he's like, they sit in silence for a long period. He's like, Ooh, does she wear the trousers in this? It's, just, so it's, it's quite basic, right? But at the same time, do you know what? Like It's telling a story that I want to be invested in, I want to be part of. Mm. It's got the twangy Southern music as well, and they pull off music so well. Yeah, like, the, how they score their
0: movies is... Because also characters have their own soundtrack. Big Lebowski is a bigger idea about this. Like You know, the dude has Credence Clearwater Revival as his kind of backdrop whenever he's on screen, and that that's his kind of soundtrack. It's like in um in in nineties action movies, you know, villains always listen to opera. Yeah. You know, that's how you knew they were they were like the villains. And this is the same with Coen Brothers movies, is certain characters have certain styles of music within the movies. You know, like whereas Tarantino's a jukebox, whereas this is more a kind of symphony that matches the film that you're watching. Mm. Um I didn't put Raising Arizona in. I really wanted to. It is one of my favorite Nick Cage's movies. It's also a Nick Cage movie where if we're talking about like Willy's Wonderland, you know, (laughs) Raising Arizona is when you're like, you know, just go with it. You know, that's fine for Nick Case to be like that in the context of a Coen Brothers movie. But when he's doing it in, you know, a in kind this. of a, a horror movie or whatever he's supposed to be in, thing It is, seems a bit wacky and odd.
1: The thing, I don't want to this to Nick thing, but I think it's really, I'm on his side a lot of the time because I think it's really weird to be working with some of the best directors in Hollywood and then doing these really weird films and they're just like, do you and he's like, mm-hmm. but the reason he, he got to this, it uh, got to this like status is because he worked with some of the best act, uh, directors in Hollywood yeah. and works along some, some definitely, of the
0: Definitely not because he's the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, yeah, definitely, it's definitely that had nothing to do with he's the fact- skills. <laughs> no, I, I love Nick Cage. I think Nick Cage is being on a film set and being like, I don't care, I've in my head, this is where I'm playing this character. Fucking hats off to him, yeah, hats off to him because no one else is doing that. There's probably a reason. <laughs> he's <laughs> probably really good for you Nick good Cage. for you he's wearing his ticket mate yeah thank god he didn't get in like he wasn't a doctor or like, <laughs> like oh,
1: tonsillectomy I'm just going to take out the lungs what <laughs> I'm going for the testicles come back <laughs> what would be weird is if this happened oh, <laughs> just and then just did it oh mate I'd, I'd watch surgeries performed by the close Cage now
0: my second movie if I was doing a list this film had to be in the top three it's one of, maybe it's in my top ten movies of all time. Certainly in my top twenty. Oh, it's a huge monumental movie that if you haven't seen, it, I'd employ you to watch. If you haven't seen recently, I'd also encourage you to go back and rewatch and revisit. It's a film very similar to *A Brother now That after I watched it, I was stunned in the sense of I haven't seen that before. The way it was executed, the payoff, the suspense, the 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 the, the acting, and the reveal. No country for old men. You know are. I'm surprised. I thought it was going to be your number one. Yeah, I, the number ones. I think it's obvious. So I'll, I'll stick to stick no, to okay. this as number two. I remember clearly watching this movie again. Didn't see it at the cinema. I think I think I've rented it or or saw it on one of the streaming services after it had come out, and being absolutely blown away by the the drama of the how it
1: played out. I was hooked in watching. The story, first and foremost. Do you know what I remember most about this film? I remember watching this film and really liking it. And then I remember talking to you about this film and I re-watched it and I loved it. This is one of these films that, which is weird because that never normally happens, but I never, someone's insights don't make me love a story that much. But when you told me it was about, it's about different generations, Mm. I never really saw that. I know it sounds really stupid. I saw, and in some ways it's quite obvious, and that's not all you said, but we got into like a really good conversation. I was like, I haven't given them this film as much. The problem with this film is, it came out, and I'm fairly certain, a week after There Will Be Blood. Yeah, yeah, the two. And and, and I think I remember seeing There Will Be Blood first. You know, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis, like, epic. Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, when you when I was watching I always got confused. I was like, I always went with that one. But, but I, I do like There Will Be Blood. I like Daniel Day-Lewis. And,
0: and when everyone gives him the props, is like the best actor in the world. Like, that that probably is his top movie. I certainly prefer that to movies like Gangs of New York, Phantom mm. Fred, and, you know, but- and also Paul Dano's in that, and I think the two work really well together. Yeah, but it was a Paul Dano-making movie that yeah. was. Yeah. And but the thing for me is No Country for all men is it, it's so if you haven't seen it, it's 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 again, it's that stumbling coincidence movie. Like the 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 movie stems from the 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 stumbling across a um a drug deal that's gone wrong yeah, so where everyone's just... been slayed and a hunter in this place played by uh, Josh program. Brolam stumbles across a load of dead bodies, a load of cartel vehicles, and a load of money, $2 million. And he does what any man would do think, well, there's no witnesses, I'm going to take the money. You know, he lives a kind of simple life, doesn't know what to do with that money. What he doesn't realize, though, is that a hitman has been sent to retrieve the money. This place, in this case, played
1: by the frightening. Javier Bardem as Anton. I think this is this is, so I always like to think of the Cone as Starmakers. makers. Javier Bardem was a good actor, but this film propelled him yeah. to next level. And he doesn't hunt with a shotgun, mate. He doesn't hunt with anything. He hunts with like a farmyard killing, you know, he he's he's terrifying in the fact that he's got like a weird haircut. Yeah. And he's kind of just like an everybody, like a bit of a weirdo. He he's
0: he's just a psychopath. Yeah. yeah like you say, he's got a cow prod that's used to kill cow, cows. So he's using his
1: like fucking do everything yeah he's he, fucking
0: resourceful he's killing he's killing the police with it you know he is he is a savage um merciless killer on the hunt for josh brolin throw in the mix you've got good woody harrelson you got good woody harrelson you know a reoccurring conversation we've been having over the last few weeks is what woody harrelson do you get on the day in this case a very very good woody Harrelson. you also have the veteran tommy lee jones in this movie um kind of really being the the i'll get to it at the end of it but the the summation of the movie
1: literally has the last scene. I think this is his Magnum Opus as well. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, Volcano is pretty high up there. but <laughs> well, I he, think he need to play Two-Face as well. Like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. Oh, Do you want to make, I, I sound like a
0: twat now. <laughs> <laughs> but No question for All Men for me is it was, uh, you know, the, the, it was just a gritty movie where I didn't know where it was going because, and that's the, that's the beauty of the movie. It's so hard to explain that, when the movie, the premise of it is someone accidentally stumbling on a situation that they should not have been involved in, and now your story takes place in the aftermath of that, where it goes is a complete blank page and can go anywhere. And that was the excitement of this movie. You know, at any other time, you would have seen the shootout or you it would have led to the shootout. This movie takes place in the aftermath of a drug deal gone wrong. And what happens when the person stumbles across the crime scene you would take the money, yeah. You know, and and intertwine with that. As I say, this relentless. I often think, if you had the Terminator chasing you, that's one thing. I Schwarzenegger, but he don't run. Whereas I think Anthony so Anton, Yell, uh, sorry, Anton in this, <laughs> played by um, Javier, Bardem. Javier Bardem, much more frightening to come yeah. after you. There's a scene in it where he's talking to a guy at a petrol station, and he's saying, "What's the most you've ever betted or wages on flipping a, on a coin on a coin toss?" One of the most tense scenes ever, and expertly. Pinned down by the fact that he's eating seeds, and he puts the wrapper on the table, and there's just this silence as the wrapper expands and gets louder, which is the tension of the scene. You know, the longer the scene draws out, the more tension-filled it is. It's just a, one of the most memorable
1: moments in the movie, and nothing happens in it. When you say that, though, that sounds like it's not an interesting movie, but it is. It, it is like it's the most so interesting, interesting thing. Isn't it? But but don't tease us. What happens to the wrapper? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not yeah. going to tell you what happens yeah. the round. But no, the whole and then the whole movie crux is on Tommy Lee Jones' character as the sheriff who's meant to be the kind of John Wayne character who at the end of the movie holds his hands up and is
1: like, I don't want do to do this. I can't
0: do that. We can't do this. We've moved away from the sheriff riding into town and, and, you know, rounding up the villains. There are psychopaths out there. There are villains out there that are hell-bent on you know, murder and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and money and drugs and whatever it may be. And, th- you know, the, the common man has no place in this scenario. And then the movie just goes to black and it, it's just a gut punch of the film. I remember at the end of that movie being like, shit. And, and no, no wonder that, you know, it, it won the Oscars that year. Cause the, you know, you say what you want about, uh, there will be blood and, um, you know, which I think those did win an Oscar for, this to me was certainly the superior movie around yeah. that time. Oh, he is. He
1: I just remember at the time I was getting him confused. God, um, he was scary in that movie.
0: He was. And I, I the point is,
1: Josh bone barely speaks in this film.
0: And that, and that, the haircut as well is another thing. Now I know Fargo, the TV series wasn't directed by, I know they produced they it. They produced it. And I think, they had, but again,
1: it, but, uh, Billy Bob Thorne's hairstyle in that. He wanted to have a childish haircut, didn't he? Yeah. He wanted like a haircut that you couldn't take seriously. It, it, I'd love that. Um, Oh, what a great film. I genuinely thought this was going to be in number one because I know it's an excellent film. And yeah. do you know what? Today's the day that it's probably going in the vault. So. This this is this is the best movie they've made, but it's not my favourite. That's yeah, I think, the, that's, I think that's how I'm going to summarise it. See, so I've obviously got two films left because that's how top three works. But I, I'm, I'm a bit worried because I think my second is your first one. So I don't want to mention it because then you won't have anything to talk about. So, so you're number two. See, I reckon your I your remaining two. Big Lebowski and Fargo. They are because everyone knows me. So, that's because those three aren't any different, mm. um, so w- is one of them? Yeah, <laughs> is it? Is your number one that? No. Oh, cool. I'll talk about that then. Yeah. Um, my number two is Fargo, my mm. 1996, starring Francis McDermott, William H Macy, Steve Buscemi, and Peter Stone. Right you just talked about Anton until Anton came along the most, the the biggest psychopath in the film I'd ever seen was Peter Stoneware, because he's fucking diabolical in this film. <laughs> he, he's, he's off the chain. He's not, he's like the opposite of Anton. Like he doesn't not feel emotions. He feels them at like a near Neolithic, like dialed up to 12 way, like throwing people into wood chippers. Yeah. That scene is particularly fucking <laughs> over the top, isn't it? Uh, Jerry uh, works for his father. Uh, Father-in-law at a motor motor car dealership. Uh, Basically, Jerry's father-in-law is very rich. Um, Jerry, however, is drowning in debt. So, inspired by a mechanic that works for him, who's a, a former criminal, Jerry employs two criminals to kidnap his wife. So what he does is he says the ransom is going to be for 80, but then when he relays this information, it's more. So he's trying to screw over criminals. He's mm. trying to screw over everyone. Um, it turns out that one of these two kidnappers is, uh, kidnappers is a seriously deranged criminal who enjoys the killing. But the biggest high point, hot on the trail, is the heavily pregnant Marge Gunderson. Yeah. Uh, a folksy police chief, a police chief that is smart and all types of lovely. Mate, she is the best She, she's the cop she wants to go oh yeah Yeah. Francis McDermott is so good and this film is set in Minnesota it's where they came from it's a love story to the state it's brilliant she stumbles across the murder but and she's heavily pregnant which I really like because it's just it's just different. It's just different. It gives her an excuse to stay out of the action, but she kind of like meanders through this case, but solves it brilliantly. Like she's like one of the best detectives, but in a folksy manner where she's just like, oh yeah. <laughs>
0: there's, that, there's that scene where she's like, she's looking at the crime scene and I think I said this earlier where it doesn't show you the crime scene. It shows you looking her at looking, it. looking yeah. at it and she goes, so what's happened here is the car's gone off the road, there's been a murder, and this happened, and it just goes to the other deputy, and he's like, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Fucking brilliant. And this film game to. So this film's responsible for real-life deaths because this film ends with Steve Buscemi, uh hiding the money. So basically it's all about double-crossing and screwing everyone over William H. Macy trying to pretend that he hasn't done anything wrong whilst he's getting interrogated by, and I don't like William H. Macy, and this is a top performance from William H. Macy. Do you like H. Macy? I'll never forgive him for a dress three <laughs> When, I, when, I don't mind when, Jurassic when Park mate, 3 when mate he phoned in so bad he fucking used internet dialogue <laughs> he was so fucking behind on that film he, oh, yeah, <laughs> but he,
0: he, he said did he? When he when he got on set like, it was that much of a shambles this is the one where he threatened to kill someone wasn't it on, on Jurassic Park 3 was it yeah he I think one of the uh, like cameramen or so. he threatened to kill because when he got there he thought it was going to be like Spielberg's Jurassic Park and exactly. it was such a shambles and they were rewriting the script and oh, yeah. rewriting scenes and he's like I'm I'm going to go get my gun and murder someone <laughs> And uh, the police
1: like, turned up and everything. Hey, calm down! I was only three. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so Fargo is a fantastic double-crossing piece about criminals, police, and a guy trying to remain calm at all times. Absolutely fantastic performances. Frances McDermott's magnum opus. She will never. Oh no, D- Nomadlands are big. Actually, I said that, but it's not a uh, three billboards from three uh, billboards. Uh, yeah. That's probably the magnum. Do you want? Know Until then, this was a magnum opus purely because it's a the folksy charm in a. In, the, in a film noir, like a noir set in like the snowy Minnesota, it, it's different. It's so different. It's mm. brilliant. The idea that Steve Semi hides the money, but then is fed into a wood chipper by Peter Stomet, who I always thought was, he's a, your favorite bad actor. But in this film, he is actually very good. You know, he gives a very hammy but credible psychopathic feel um, Fargo celebrates the normality it also celebrates the everyday life when a great scene with Francis McDermott meets an old friend and he thinks it's a date it's just awkward and you sat there as an audience member going I wish this scene would end it's almost as awkward as the scenes where people are fed into a woodchipper. Mm. Um, Steve Buscemi's character dies leaving money on the side of the road that's buried in a pile of snow lead and because Fargo again when they play with the narratives opens with these are based on real events and it's not. It's all a lie. It's fictional. The it's, government you remember saying, it, you know, spinning you a yarn, saying you'll believe this, but it's not. It's mm. all fake. Japanese tourists, about 12 of them, uh, not just Japanese tourists, but I remember the famous one being two Japanese tourists, have died from exposure because they were out there searching for this uh, two million pounds that was buried on the side of the road. Real life. It's just it's really weird. Um, that said, whilst responsible for your live deaths, this film is a symphony of great, a, a mockery of what is the police procedural. I find, you know, it's not... It's not like DNA or anything. So, you Use up perfectly and I was going to say at the end, it's like, yep, yeah. <laughs> just, it's brilliant. Gets that folksy charm spot on. And you know what? Whilst everyone's good, it's great to see Peter Stonemaire and Steve Buscemi with great chemistry. I really like that. Although one downside, no John Goodman. What's that about?
0: <laughs> so I I, th- I really wanted to put this in my top three and it probably would have been third. It probably would have taken over over we out now. One of the things I was torn between was, and don't shoot me. Let, let's have the conversation before. Let's do it. I don't know if I preferred the TV series because now, it gave
1: me longer to be in that world. I don't mind that at all because I think, I think Fargo, I can't remember which one. Season one's brilliant, but I think season two might be one of my favorite seasons of all time. Is that the more Kirsten Dunst in it? It's possible. I can't remember. So the third one, Jimmy McGregor, isn't it? Yeah, that's Jimmy McGregor. And the first one's Martin Freeman and Billy Bob Thorne. And I can't remember the second one. I think it's Kirsten, it's Kirsten Dunst. And yeah. I believe it's set in the past. I believe it's set in the 80s, whereas the other ones I set. And I agree with you. I think, I think the TV series are actually somehow better than this film. Mm. But I'll never forget one of the I'll never forget first time seeing this film. And what did you expect? Because the cover is the shot that you mentioned. Mm. There's a dead, um, Francis McDermott is in a field of snow and there's a trail of blood. I don't know if you see the body, but there's blood and she's following it. And I believe it's her back where you see her. But it doesn't, it's quite, you know, nihilistic. There's nothing there. Don't judge a book by its cover, but it drew me in. You mm. know, we always get, and I'll remember falling in love with that film. I, yeah. I loved it when I watched it. And but it, I do I agree always, with you, the TV series made off. Oh, and I believe they were on Netflix. If you Catch them, because they're so good. They're still on Netflix, because I think they're doing a fourth season, aren't they? Oh, that'd be brilliant. But
0: I, I loved Fargo, the TV series and the film. And and also, it's one of them that I go back to Is as is an example of, I love American movies that are not in New York and LA yes. and, or Chicago or like San Francisco. Nothing wrong with them, but there's so many. I love these movies where it's like, the, you know, like Minnesota or kind of middle America. You know, you know, movies like The Pledge. Yeah. You know, with Nick, uh, with Jack Nixon. Jack Nicholson, right? Benicio those, Del Toro. Yeah, right. those kind of movies with the small town sheriff department, you know, and, and a crime that's maybe too big for them to handle. Like this, these kind of films, I absolutely love. It feels somewhat more real, which is odd because the characters are by no means yeah. realistic. Uh, but I, I love this movie and, I, and to be honest if I'd watched it this week it probably would have pipped a brother out that. if I'd watched it this week I probably would have fallen back in love with it
1: yeah because I probably haven't seen it for a good five years or so <laughs> since we have been doing yeah that's all I can seem to say now um, it's, yeah. it's a great film I've got nothing left to say it's fantastic now I think we've both got the same number one then we do have the same number so one so do I yeah. just quickly mention some of the films that didn't make it so I would also like big props to True Grit now I think True Grit is always often rated low despite the fact it was up for best film best actor uh best uh, actress as well. What I think goes against it is even because it was a remake of a John Wayne film. And I think people say it's the best of John Wayne's films is true. Grit will always, it has that remake quality against it. I, however, adore true. Grit. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's brilliant. I think the performances from Josh Brolin only in it at the end is brilliant, but it's your main star. The actress name I brought up the other day again, I haven't got that notes with me. And um, Jeff Bridges are phenomenal. Jeff Bridges as the old calculated Old timer, you know, the old shooter in the, in the modern world where he comes up against Matt Damon and Matt Damon actually giving a shit is really good. You know, I won on Matt Damon High after last week when I, was, when I saw it. I like Matt Damon. Um, fantastic, but, but she's the knockout performance. She was so good. Um, I was reviewed that film with Woody Harrison in there. Anyway, True Grit's fantastic. I've also seen um, Serious Man, which I really liked at the cinema. I think that was up for best, um, best film as well. That was great. However, I went with someone and they hated it and that spoiled it for me. Um, because you know when you take a friend to see something Coen Brothers to me is what I defined myself as so if go see this Coen Brothers film it would be great Haley Stanfield Haley Stanfield thank you very much darling she's in that film that I was talking about the other week mm. um, oh it's great she's going to be a big star of the future as well and Serious Man is, is, is not what I sold it to so it did have a negative backlash with my friend who hated the film and as a result kind of spoiled my opinion of it but I, I do quite like it I thought it was okay admirable What did you think of Hail Caesar? I liked Hail Caesar because, because it's a celebration of Hollywood Mm. in a way that's not self gratifying. You know, it's ridiculous is what that film is about, you know, trying to run a studio. It's ridiculous. But at the same time, it doesn't love itself.
0: It's like the death of the golden era of film, isn't it? Where George Clooney, again, playing like Hollywood's leading man is stolen, held for ransom. And, and, it has your rear like you're your returning cast. Josh Josh Brolin's third movie yeah. with them. Um, George Clooney again, probably third movie. Francis McDermott probably twentieth movie. Yeah. But now you've well, she's married to one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. But now you've got new blood in there as well in the in the form of um, Channing Tatum, Jonah Hill, Ray Fiennes, Tilda Swindon, Scarlett Johansson, Aiden uh, Enric, which you know, played the young Han Solo. Mm. And him and particularly Ralph Fiennes, uh, refines his characters have a wonderful scene, the slapping scene. What if it were so simple? <laughs> where he just keeps sla- And he's like, no darling, listen to what I'm saying. It. What if it was so simple? And it, and it what if it was, and he just, and he keeps going over and then to the point where he's like slapping him. Like, what if it was, it's just, it has that moment in the movie where it's, it's brilliant. Like them scenes. And then it's, again, it has the, has the big dance sequences with Chan and Tatum and, Although I've only seen the movie once when it came out of the cinema, it does, I'm pretty sure it ends with Channing, well, Channel, there's a Channing Tatum's last scene is he, he boards a Russian submarine. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's really weird. Like and over the top, it's also got the, 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 um, the, the reuniting of, of what we didn't know we needed so much of the Kurgan and the Highlander together Mate. in Christopher Lambert. And, um, Quincy, oh, Clancy, Brown. Clancy, Clancy Brown in a scene where they don't acknowledge that they are in a scene <laughs> together. And it's such a missed opportunity for them to just <laughs> nod at each other. Scott Johansson, you know, coming in there as well and, and lending, you know, it's like, it is like Wes Anderson movies where, you know, people want to be a part of these big ensemble casts, even if it's for a scene or a, or a, or a very small part, you know, again, Tilda, Tilda Swindon being in this movie, Jonah Hill, it's just, I liked it. I think it was, it's not, don't go wrong, it's never going to be in the top three and it is like a peculiar it. movie to, you know,
1: I don't think this is everyone's cup of tea but I'm certain that Coen Brothers fans would have loved it. I've put it over there with Burn After Reading which is which is a fantastic film that you should definitely see and it, it, it plays brilliantly. Mm. Now obviously the biggest one which if I were doing a most underrated film of all time and whenever we do these lists of greatness, mate, this film never makes it but we always put it in as an amendum, Millers Crossing,
0: Yeah. The story yeah.
1: of Prohibition and the Irish gangsters and John Tatura mate, putting in quite possibly one of the best performances you'll ever see on the big screen. Albert Finney and your big boy. I Albert Finney every time it's such a great story um, I've forgotten about this big boy <laughs> I was I would say the actor the singer's name is Gabriel Byrne yeah. yeah there you go Gabriel Byrne in a performance so let's be honest he's never done again <laughs> he was like he I was really what, he played the devil I was going to say he's done this and the devil and he's and he kind of plays an arsehole in usual Suspects*, but he's still not the biggest arsehole because Kevin Spacey's in that film yeah. <laughs> so surprised he's not dead yet oh, um, right. Gabriel Byrne was in uh, Stigmata everyone's got a <laughs> Um, but this is this is actually uh, what a film mate Prohibition Times I think it's on Netflix I think I saw it it is yeah you should check it out it's a great gangster movie that <sighs> do you know what it doesn't rewrite the genre but it, it does near perfect it I mean this is a film that doesn't make the top gangster film list doesn't make the top Coen Brothers list but at the same time it should because it, it's kind of it's just a great film and I'm sick of having lists and never mentioning Miller's Crossing <laughs> so unfortunately it doesn't make my top three <laughs> so that's sad there, there's a
0: movie that I've always wanted to watch and I don't know why I have not because it's right up my street yep. and it's the Oscar Isaacs Inside. Karen Mulligan um, John Goodman Justin Timberlake movie yep. uh, Inside uh, Llewellyn Davis I've seen it once I actually can't remember that much of it. it I do remember liking it though obviously Oscar Isaacs really for me came on the scene after probably um, what was that uh, that AI movie that he did
1: I don't know that one
0: no Ex Machina
1: of course, he, yeah. if when he shaved his head and he's, he's basically like Mark Zuckerberg. But yeah, like, tech a, genius. A fucking massive amounts of cocaine. Yeah, that, that, yeah that, and, that, and then obviously
0: that. the um, the Star Wars kind of movies that he was but, in. And but, now it's I'll, one of them I keep meaning to go back to, but I've never I'm I've never, never played.
1: I'm never him because for the longest time, do you remember when you went to the cinema and all you saw was James Bond uh, trailers? Yeah. There was a long period for about a year where I kept going to the cinema and there was a film where he played like a broken man or something and all I saw was that trailer and- I saw that trailer so much, I'd never wanted to see mm. that film out of spite. <laughs> so I still haven't seen it. Um, I'm sure he plays a gangster or something. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good film. I think you would r- rather enjoy it, as I recall. I think there's obviously we have touched on the Lady Killers as uh, it's not good, it, but it should have been. It should have been. I don't mind Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks is a bit bland for me, and the one thing you've got to argue is he is not bland in this film. He gives the criminals what they want. I don't think it's Tom Hanks' fault. Mm. It's, it's a like, remake as well, isn't it? It is a remake of the from Lady from a, Killers from an Alec Guinness film. So Tom uh, Hanks is in the Alec um, Guinness role. Um, it should have worked. What it is is I believe they're committing a robbery. And they need this lady's house, so they basically become workmen in this lady's house, and then kind of like she foils them. It should have been cool. It should have been funny. It should have been great. It really wasn't. Had a great cast, but no, baby, I'm sorry. It was shit awful.
0: Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't enjoy it that much. And, and Tom Hanks does outstay his welcome in because it? it's that southern draw that he it has. Is it's just draw. a bit, out, you know. But he, um, he you no know he gives it. He has a go. Ballet of the Buster Scruggs that we talked about it numerous times is, is probably the last one before we reveal the top one, which everyone probably already knows. I, I do think Ballet of the Buster Scruggs is a, an exercise in filmmaking. Yeah. There's so much to, we could do a whole podcast on it. I think we have talked about it previously on our Western episode. God knows when that was, but you know, the, the way that it's split down, the, you know, the way that it plays out is almost like, um, Greek fables, you know, the, the way that it, you know, the, the, the way that your Tata character is in the first act and then it slows down with the middle acts with the prospector scenes and then it's not really got too much action in it but it's violent when it wants to be it's ensemble to fucking massive levels Lee I, Neeson's in this movie I
1: was going to say I've always find that the uh, James Franco parts gets downplayed I love that but was like first time Yeah, I just think I just I love that one that, you know everyone's got a favourite I think that might be my favourite oh but then again but then again fucking what's his face from Harry Potter Harry Potter's brother <laughs> Not brother, stepbrother. Yeah, he is plays it the guy with Harry Mealing. That that's not his name. His name's Muggle. <laughs> <laughs> He's fantastic as well. Do you know what? I've got fond memories of this. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I've
0: watched it twice and it's the kind of movie as well where you can watch like half of it because it's so interspice. Mm-hmm. Um I actually really like the the uh, traveling uh I think it's like part five or, or whatever it is, the the kind of the the migrating town, you know, when the the guy who kind of goes along with him. As like a bit of a bodyguard, like that's the harrowing one, mm-hmm. and then the final piece of the movie, you know, with uh, Brennan Gleason in it, yeah. it's just it's just so well made, and and uh, but it does feel like an exercise in, in showboating exercise <laughs> on a on a grand luscious landscape. So it leaves us with our top Coen brothers movie, which I think comes as no surprise, so, topping
1: many people's list from uh, from was it nineteen ninety eight nine ninety eight? You know, it's a film that stars Jeff Bridges. Oh, it's a film that stars John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, David Huddleston, John Turturro, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tara Reid, David Thenis, and Peter Stomare, mate. Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski.
0: A film about rugs, white Russians, and bowling.
1: This is what, I know you're probably going to do a better job, but two deck collectors working for local porn kingpin, Jackie Treon, break into the home of Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski, assault him, and piss on his rug. (laughs) And what follows now is the fallout of the greatest adventure of all time. A case of mistaken identity, the dude has been confused for the wealthy Jeffrey Lebowski and the dude steals a rug. Later on, Lebowski calls on the dude for his wife has been kidnapped and they need someone to deliver the money in exchange for Lebowski's trophy wife. Things not mentioned in this brief roundup, bowling, weed, coffee mug, penis, ferrets, Vietnam War, John Goodman's undies, Jesus, pornography, mutilation, modern art, nihilism, betrayal and white Russians. That does it all. In a nutshell, that is the movie. What a fucking sensational film. And this, mate, goes all the way back to just the big Le- uh The film is called The Big LeBowski. It's not about Jeffrey. It's not about Jeff Bridges, Jeffrey LeBowski. It's called The Big LeBowski. The first thing the LeBowski of Jeff Bridges tells you, call me the dude. Mm. It's about the other guy, it's, it's, uh, the character, Jeff LeBowski, played by David Huddleston, the, the wealthy man. And everything that happens is just from one, they piss on his rug. And it starts off in, and it, mate, it starts off in a great scene. If we talk about greatest, you know, um, Charisma, you know, the, the banter between three people. Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, and Steve Buscemi. John Goodman gives a performance, which I just think it might be the best it performance the of best, all time. Yeah. He's so good. And, you know, but it's not that he's arguing with Jeff Lebowski. The dude about the rug, you know, that rug really turned the room together. Is that every time Steve Buscemi adds something, he has to disengage and just go, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he treats Donnie like absolute shit. Steve Buscemi, not really in this film. He was only there for the bowling scenes, but John Goodman, mate, could give you a top three, you know, jumping out of the car and the gun going up and spin. <laughs> Market is zero. This is a norm. There are rules. Brilliant. John Turturro showing up to play Jesus, the yeah. bowling champion, in a line that's not really needed. It goes down to little bits that Lebowski gets knocked out listening to like, uh, he's listening to famous bowling strikes. <laughs> and, then when he, and then I'm sure it's like Kenny Rogers is playing when he wakes up. Julianne Moore is like the ultimate artist and feminist, you know, using people. He, the people pissing on his rug and then he goes through his own criminal investigation in a scene, mate, which I know that you fucking love. Oh, is yeah. It's when he's at Treon's house and the on takes a Phone call draws on something, and then like sleuth music <laughs> plays, and the big Lebowski like uses the shaded in pencil trick to see what he's in. He's just drawn <laughs> a cock. <laughs> it's comedy gold. <laughs> it's <freaking laughs> so good. Oh my! Like you know, it's all brilliant. Can I spoil this for you? I'm probably going to you know Steve Buscemi's die, so they scatter his ashes in a coffee mug. But because the wind's changes, John Goodman just ends up shoving it all in Lebowski's face. <laughs> Um, the, the idea of John Goodman just pushing a cripple down to goes like this fucker can walk. It's, it's so brilliant. Like he doesn't drive on shove shabba shoves. This is what happens, Larry, when you fuck a guy in the house. <laughs> just smashing up a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Ooh. perfect. He's fucking. what my. It's my favorite comedy of all time. When I rewatched it recently, I'm so happy that it's not changed at all. I still get that same feeling watching it. Mate, this is a film so good, you don't mind that Tara Reid's in it. And that's the biggest statement you can fucking give a film.
0: Yeah, it's always surprising when you think, when you go through the list, you're like, God, oh, yeah, Tara, there is a Tara Reed movie I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's the gift that keeps on giving this movie because every time I watch it, I'm like, fucking, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. You know, Julia Moore, who comes into the movie quite late as well. Mm. I think she was,
1: when is she like four months pregnant in this movie? Oh, I don't, I, I don't remember. I know. <laughs> yeah. But well, her introduction as well is when the, <laughs> the dude enters the room and he hears her screaming and she's on the apparatus. <laughs> she just seems to him. And they have a really weird conversation. It's like the dude doesn't belong in this world. And David Thesis is like this alter, like, and he's just like giggling at him. He doesn't understand what's happening. And just, and this all started, mate, because they pissed on the wrong rock. Yeah. <laughs> and that,
0: that, that's the beauty of Cobra's movies or some of them is, is the the everyday man being brought like being kind of sucked into a storyline that they have no right being in whether that be Josh Bridges in No Country for All Men whether it be two local town sheriffs in Fargo you know this Big basket the dude Jeff Bridges his his most iconic role and he's yeah. been in some great movies yeah, yeah. you know like the, whatever your favourite Jeff Bridges movie is this trumps it surely it's, it, like, it's iconic the whole I love as well the pacing of this film like the first like what feels like, you know, five minutes is a tumbleweed just yeah. going
1: through, <laughs> which <laughs> well, is, whilst the narration is playing by Sam Elliott, who I just realised didn't make the list, which doesn't go anywhere. No. You know, he just rambles. He's like, there's a guy. Oh, I forgot what I was well, talking about back. In,
0: yeah, he comes back in it, doesn't he? Later on, Sam <laughs> Elliott does. He goes, "I just want to see the shammys."
1: But it's uh <laughs> it's the Asparilla. Because did he play the? Is he just called like the cowboy? I see, or thing, yeah, something it? like that. Because because that right at the end, he he talks to him. He goes, "I'm sorry, about Donny." It's mm. like, oh, these things definitely do. And then just afterwards, he's like, yeah, "Is I think like he's supposed to be like the narrator or God. but, yeah. but no. But this is everything, mate. From the first time you meet the dude, and he's, he's drinking milk and has to pay for it by check, mm. you know, to the getting this coffee mug in the face, to just everything. This film was so big, mate. It spawned they spawned like Dudeism, which is now a, an illegal religion. You've gone to the Big Lebowski bar in, in Iceland, uh, yeah, great? in
0: Reykjavik. It, we it was mate. I tell you what, it was in my top things to do when I got there. Like, <laughs> like Blue Lagoon was second to, to go to the Lebowski bar, a bar that uh, serves so like forty different types of White Russian. Oh, that's brilliant. And it was it is just a shrine to Jeff Bridges. The whole every inch of that bar was just covered in quotes or or um, murals of the character. Um, you know, people in dressing gowns. It was it was fucking so good in the middle of Iceland. There's <laughs> well when there's fuck all to
1: do <laughs> and you're like i'm just gonna go get pissed on white russians oh uh, what an absolutely tremendous film it and is the top one in it? it is the top on there's so much to love about it you know when people say um they don't <laughs> like it i don't understand you can't like it it's one of those things that i'll defend till my dying breath big mask is one of the cinema's greatest achievements i think when i get in
0: my 50s i'm gonna grow my hair long again yeah. and just have a goatee and just drink white russians yeah. it's that level like I'm beyond watching like Spider-Man and wanting to save the world and I'm beyond watching, you know, like Die Hard and thinking I could be a hero. I just want to be the dude. Yeah. Fucking you, set your goals. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that is it. So my top three,
1: Over of Where Art Thou, No Country For All Men, Big Lebowski. Uh, I started off with Raising Arizona, Fargo and ended it with The Big Lebowski.
0: Now, in an episode where you thought there maybe is no more greatness to talk about, mm-hmm, I did watch a movie this week Okay, uh, that is great. I know you think it's great. I don't think we've ever really discussed it. And with the fact that we've only just passed the hour, now is probably the time. And the fact that it's fresh in my memory from watching it. So recently I went up to Newcastle um, to had some time to kill in the car because I wasn't driving. So I put on the iPad and thought, fuck it, I'm going to watch. No, uh, sorry, no control. No control I'm going to watch Man on Fire.
1: Oh, Wait. So this this film, if you go back to episode one, I listed that as my best action film 10 years ago. So when we did the original list, we yeah. had to guess what we did from 10 years ago. So so 10 years ago, I thought that was my best action movie. Mm. Creasy, mm. you know, the, the washed up soldier. The assassin,
0: yeah. the gun for hire in this case. Denzel Washington's character is drifting through through life and through country to country when he stops in Mexico um, where he uh, meets his old friend Rayburn, played by Christopher Walken. Chris Walken, great performance,
1: doesn't Yeah. That. Doesn't walk. Like as I recall, it's a film where he, I remember reading the piece, he's like... Christopher Walken barely moves in the film. He's always in one location, people come to him. And I remember thinking, why does that matter? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, what's that? Is that important? I don't get it. It is. It, it, it's excellent. And and Christopher Walken
0: sets him up as a uh, bodyguard for hire to a um, a kind of, it's set up as a rich and wealthy family. It the is. storyline kind of revolves that maybe they're not as rich as, as what they are. The, the, but the Ramos family who have a young daughter, uh, Peter or Lupita, played by Dakota Fanning in a very young age. Yeah. You know, this movie and I Am Sam for me, when I watched them two movies, I was like, "Dakota Fanning is going to be the biggest fucking thing since the Aldus because mm-hmm. they are two outstanding performances and two outstanding movies. It's also got Mickey Rock in it. It's got um, Giancarlo Gianni, who pops up every now and again in yeah. movies like Hannibal, and and we, yeah. we talk about it every now and time Just we talked about recently in the Bond movies, wasn't it? In the mm-hmm. Daniel Craig episode, we talked about him as um, as as the 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 snitch, but then didn't turn out to be a snitch, but then. Fuck it, It happened in Solace, so I don't really pay attention. But, <laughs> but, um, it, it, so the whole, set, the whole premise of the movie is Denzel Washington is this alcoholic who's um, maybe not as sharp and as skillful as he used to be. He's cold, he's, you know he's got no one in his life. He's somewhat suicidal. He's got a bullet with his name etched on the side of it. And he falls you know, for the little girl that he's protecting because she is undoubtedly adorable. And what the movie does brilliantly is the, it's a two-hour-twenty two movie the first hour, there is no action. Mm. It really has to get you in the mindset of why Denzel Washington's character Creasy is connected to this little girl, and it and it and it basically says you're going to wait for the action because you need to understand the relationship that them two have. They go through the paces of
1: him teaching her to swim fast. It goes through him. I love that because that that was like like. The whole idea is like the gunshot. She, the reason he sees her at a swimming meet. And I think that's how the friendship starts. It's like, she doesn't win. It's like, because you freeze at the gunshot, you're scared of it. It's like, he sees it. And because he's like an assassin or, you know, he works, you know, how do you pronounce this? In the shadows, you know, Mm. doing, doing dirty things and mean things is that it sets you free. So she kind of learns that, you know, and then that plays out like later when she hears a gun, gunshot she doesn't freeze. She, you know, she it's like releases it to Mm. action. That's
0: really cool. Yeah the the whole thing is I, I was surprised watching it because it was one of the films which has been long enough that I couldn't remember all the nitty-gritty details of it. Mm. So as I was watching it I was surprised I was like Jesus the first 50 minutes is you know just building on this relationship between the sen- those two characters so that when she does get kidnapped which is the premise of the movie the film starts with you know saying that in Mexico City that uh, you know someone is killed uh, someone uh, a child is kidnapped um, every six hours. Yeah. You know, a, a horrific statistic that then says over 70% are never returned. And it opens with a, a kidnapping and a ransom and showing you the processes of them calling the house, giving the demands and then the person being released or not being released. It kind of sets the tone very early on in this kind of busy hustling city where crime, you know, is, is uh, you know, on the streets. And then it goes to this relationship, which is adorable. You feel, you know, like there, there's a moment where Creasy's character, you know tips the bottle down the drain doesn't drink it you know she's cracked away at him she's you reignited his soul his passion you know she gives him a gift and she goes i saved up for that for Mm. you you know she not my parents bought it you know i bought that with my my pocket money and there's a beautiful scene with christopher walken denzel washington and and um and uh very young dakota fanning where they cheered that moment and it's heartbreaking because you know what's coming next. She's yeah. gonna get abducted. And um, you know, Washington Washington's gonna get shot, shot multiple times, and then the movie fucking spins on its head, and it's and he wakes up from the from the from the from the, the kidnapping and he's like, I'm gonna kill everyone associated with that kidnapping. Yeah, because she dies, doesn't she? She well. She dies. As far as he's aware. Oh, as far as <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as he wakes up, Chris Walker's character's like, she's dead. Yeah. Because again, then there's a secondary storyline about. And we're spoiling this because they're all in this podcast. If the movie's over 10 years old, then you should have yeah. seen it by now. But um yeah, so the the, the drop goes wrong. So the, the the kidnappers ask for five million, they say put it in this location, then there's a shootout at that location, and there's this kind of secondary storyline about well, how did that you know, is it corrupt officials? Is it the, That's the, the, I recall, you recall, know, yeah. Is it that the gang are actually trying to double cross him and then the kidnapper calls up and he's like, You fucked up. One of my guys got shot in the crossfire. You're not seeing your
1: kid ever again. Goodbye. Hangs up. He's like, this is business. It's not personal. It's the police you fucked up. Because the police want the money, don't they? Because they're almost as corrupt as the people. See, something like that. Yeah. He, well, he's, all, films, he's been a very long time yeah, since. All so, the kidnappers
0: it? are police. You know, no. like the, the bit when Creasy, um, uh, he kind of notices something's about to go down is because he sees the police block off a street. He's uh, so he kind of he, he, you know his assassin uh, spider senses start tingling at that moment. But <laughs> so you got the side storyline about well what happened, what went wrong, who's behind it all. You know Mickey Rock's in the movie. Oh, maybe he's a villain. Um, but the, the central part of it is that- like <laughs> maybe he's just melted because he's in Mexico and can't move.
1: <laughs> but then it's
0: that then it's that scene of, of Denzel Washington just being like. I'm going to kill anyone. Like, it doesn't matter if you're associated or if you know anything about it. so calm, is Oh, fuck it. And then he goes to the gun store and he just buys like every gun and a rocket launcher and you're like, shit's about to go down. There's 60 minutes left of this movie. Yeah. And it's just brutal. It is brutal. Relentless, savage. Creative
1: like- as well. Like some of the ways like, you know, that he does things. Yeah. Is, is, is weird. It's got the alternative ending, which I won't talk about. If you, On the DVD, there's an alternative ending. It ends differently. Well, it does. It, it ends exactly how you think it ends. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: it, it, is, it is brilliant in the sense that he works up the ranks by you know kind of going after the crook police first who give him the next lead who give him the next lead until he gets to the top guy you know the, Daniel the man on the other end of the phone who you know which what makes this film so fucking deep cuts is it's like a movie like 8 millimeter. can you remember 8 millimeter where Nicolas Cage at the end
1: finds the bad guy and the bad guy's normal. like
0: what did you expect
1: yeah you
0: know, I'm just a bloke who lives
1: with his well, mom. It's like, it's like the guy on the, 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 the kind of Gimp Mask, like the one that like beats them and yeah. everything. He's like, well, what did you expect? Yeah, yeah he's like, he I'm not a monster. looks like he's a monster, mom. but yeah. yeah. Whereas, and then this, it's like, the guy is just
0: a guy. It's like, it's just a business I sell. We, kid, we kidnap people, we steal money, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, it's, it wasn't personal. He's like, fuck it, it was personal to me, Gorge. It starts shooting up everyone. Yeah, he does. Oh
1: man, it's so good. I really like how it's edited as well. It's got like what I would consider. Do you remember? Oh, I know you know this 996 the rock. You know mm. that editing, that quick, you know, flash, rotating camera. It's a movie that Marco Bay thinks he makes. Yes, it wants to make. Yeah. It's he's a very stylish, and I believe that randomly will use subtitles, but for no reason. Yeah. Which is like, what's the name of the bear? It's like, what oh, is the name of the bear. Mm. <laughs> it just comes across the screen for no reason. Um, I yeah, this a film. I'm going to stick by it because I'm a big fan of my decisions. When I first saw this film, I was blown away because I was called a man on fire, but I didn't know anything about it. I liked the fact that it was set in place that I didn't know. It sets up your story quite well, and I liked that the first time it was not action-orientated. And he doesn't, unfortunately, he tries to kill himself and fails. And he goes to a speech with Steve Walk- Stephen... Uh, Christopher, Steve, Walken. Christopher Walken. Christopher And Christopher Walken's the one that comes up with a job to save his life, knowing... Oh, it's a great film. Yeah, it's the whole like the bullet, a bullet never lies. Yeah. He shoots it, but it doesn't go off and he rings off and goes, Well, why, why would this happen? And Chris was like, Did you just try and kill yourself? He was like, no, maybe. Ah, oh, it's a great film. I really liked it. So how would you feel about it on the all-time great action list, though? Because obviously fame oh, so is not my like, number one.
0: It, yeah, it's it's Diode is still the number one, but this that's a vault movie. Yeah. It's man on fire, definitely. Um just thought I'd bring it up while it's fresh in my memory. Because I'm I'm on this like last week I talked about um, the uh, the little things the small things whatever that movie was yeah Denzel Washington and it was like that's not it's not the home run that I thought Denzel was going to give us so I went back and had to kind of reset the balance we've had a film I know he's excellent tra- I probably would have watched Training Day as well I oh, A a do- number of great Denzel films
1: well there's a film on Netflix that I keep watching but I keep getting interrupted so I've only you know when it's on you continue watching I'm only six minutes into this 140 minute film or however long it is Bone Collector oh yeah yeah, yeah. love yeah. the Bone Collector and it's Great performance from him because obviously he plays a paraplegic. He stays in bed, yeah. But it's, it's great performance. Uh, it's it's Angelina one of the Jolie. only films I like Angelina Jolie. In. Yeah, yeah. And I'm do, I'm watching
0: the the ultimate Denzel Washington uh, test, Ooh. and that is uh, can he make Mark Wahlberg good? Because I'm watching Two Guns at the minute, which I'll report back to next week. I'm halfway through it. I've seen thought, it.
1: Don't they both play cops for different agencies?
0: Yeah, DAA I, and like Navy something or another, and they're both corrupt.
1: Good luck. Yeah I'm only 20 minutes in and it's
0: uh, <laughs> but you know the the, the, the test is isn't whether or not it's a good movie it's whether or not Mark Wahlberg comes out actually decent in it but um, yeah I just thought I'd raise that so Volt uh, oh, in this week is definitely Man of Fire Big is already in there I'm going I, I, No Country Old definitely and Fargo and Fargo That's our show for this week, ladies and gentlemen. If you do like it, don't forget to like and subscribe. You'll get a new episode each and every week. uh, And if you're on social media at SYIMS underscore podcast, let us know what you think. Everyone who gives a shout out, thank you so much. We do try and retweet and comment and engage. Uh, but, you know, you really do help us reach a larger audience. So keep doing that. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: We appreciate it if you went on to the iTunes and maybe left a little review as well. Yeah. So yeah click me, that little five star it, link. There, there. You you, you, know cheeky know you, want one, one,
0: you tickle it. Ooh. And if I ever see you, I'll buy you a white Russian. And I'll just say thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> 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 Next week is a special one. We're going back to the small screen, mate, to the TVs. We're
1: not just going small screen, mate. We're going, going back a few years when we had something to live for. You know, when we, we cared who was in the North, mate, who ruled the Seven Kingdoms? What was happening in Essos? Who was the king in the north? We decided to take on Game of Thrones because we figured it's been long enough that mm. it's a great time to revisit the series that famously killed interest in the Game of Thrones spin-offs with its final series. And also in 2022, early 2022, the offshoot House of Dragons trailer's just released. So we thought we'd give the Gandhi, mm. give it a go. Time to return to Westeros.
0: Yeah, the fire's probably settled by now. So yeah. it's a good time to go back, <laughs> revisit... Do a deep dive into Game of Thrones for our next episode, which is going to be fun. It's that it's you know we talked about doing some smaller screen stuff. We did our top five TV shows about eight weeks ago now, which was yeah, um, really well received. So if you, if
1: you think about it, this was a oh, we'll talk
0: about it next yeah, week. Didn't make the top five, like it didn't.
1: Yeah, because of its end. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, but we're going to do that next week, so that's going to be fun and interactive. So we'll put some stuff on social media. So thank you so much for downloading. If I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night, goodbye.